Thank you for joining Mind Your Brain, a podcast of meaningful workshops to improve the quality of life for those affected by brain injury. Our goal is to give you tools and tips and encouragement to invest in your recovery. Please come along with me today and listen to the recovery journey of a brain injury survivor who has had a head-on car accident in 2013. His recovery was not perfect, but Matt Benkirk feels a sense of accomplishment for his life. Welcome, I am your host, Candace Gant. I too am a brain injury survivor and founder of the Mind Your Brain at Penn Medicine Conference and the executive director of the Mind Your Brain Nonprofit Foundation. I'm also proud to be on the board of the Brain Injury Association of Pennsylvania. My guest today, Matt Van Kirk, attended St. Joseph's Prep High School in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, class of 1995. He then went on to receive a Bachelor of Arts from Boston College and a Master's of Arts in teaching high school, high school English, at Simmons University in Boston. Matt went on to teach at Brockton High School for two years and Wissahickon High School from 2007 to 2014. And then his life changed. So Matt, I'm thrilled to have you as a guest today. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much, Candace. Um, it's been a long haul. You've been a help all along the way. Um, Mind Your Brain has been wonderful. Thanks for joining us. You've been such an important, you've played such an important role in giving back to the community of brain injury survivors. But today I wanted to focus on you and telling, telling our audience about your accident. Take us back to that day when it happened. Okay, so uh, I'll know the day for the rest of my life. It was Monday, um, December 16th, 2013. Um, I was driving home from my job as an English teacher at Wissicken High School in Ambler, PA. Um, I was driving to my apartment in Southwest Center City. Uh, I was on Martin Luther King Drive along the Schuylkill River, a drive that I loved uh, along the Rome race course where I rode in high school. So, Candace, I'm sure you know exactly where that is. Yeah. Uh, your daughter's a champion high school rower, and she's now at Notre Dame rowing. Yes. Yes. Thank you for that. Yeah. So, so that area is a very uh, symbolic. It's a very symbolic place for the accident to have uh, occurred. Um, I rode for St. Joe's Prep High School, as you said, uh, and in every practice and at the end of every race, we would row right by what ended up being the scene of the accident, which is kind of crazy. Um, I, when the, where the accident happened, I was only 15 minutes away from home. So literally if I had left work a minute later or I had left work a minute earlier, this, I wouldn't be here right now talking to you guys about this accident, but it did happen. Um, I was hit head on by an SUV going at an estimated 60 miles per hour. Uh, the driver was going so fast, he couldn't make the turn and he drifted right into my lane. Uh, I happened to be in a compact car that was totaled with me in it. Um, an airbag and seatbelt initially saved my life. First responders then took upwards of an hour to pry me out of the car with the jaws of life. I was medevaced to UPenn Hospital just in time. Luckily, the scene of the accident was a very short helicopter ride 
I had almost bled out and had to have emergency blood transfusion done. Uh, that was the most important thing to take care of in that moment. But I also had a plethora of other injuries and procedures were done that day. Most of my left ribs were fractured. I had what's called bilateral hemothorax, which is an accumulation of blood in the membrane that surrounds each lung. I had a grade four spleen laceration. I had portal vein and vena cava injuries. My uh, small left anterior pneumothoria, um, excuse me, um, I had, sorry, I had small left anterior pneumothoria, small bowel devascularization, which is a loss of blood to the bowel. Um, my left forearm was fractured. Uh, I had uh, an ace tibular fracture. It's my hip socket. And I had acute kidney injury. Uh, needless to say, my parents were told that I was touch and go and in very severe condition. But my parents uh, were not informed of this on December 16th. They weren't informed until the 17th. They didn't even know I had been in an accident. And really, uh, the, the good folks at Penn didn't know who I was. They just said, hey, we have a guy here. He needs care. And they gave it. So for a good 24 hours, people, my parents didn't know about this, brother, sister, girlfriend, nobody knew about it. Um, so that was the day of the accident, but I think the second day is important too. Um, I had multiple emergency procedures. Um, uh, the next day I was taking the ER for a second look at my abdomen, which was left open and the wound vacuum was replaced. And then, from the third day, December 19th to January 8th, I had eight more surgeries and procedures. One of them being, uh, I was placed on a feeding tube. Um, what they ended up telling my parents after uh, the whole ordeal is that uh, they said I was the MVP of uh, 2013 at HUP, meaning I was the worst case they had at Penn in the ICU in 2013. So, hey, I'm first in something. Um, I'm very happy, proud about it. Overachieving. That. Yes. Overachieving. Yeah, right, right. But, yes. you know, hey, it's um, a heart wrenching story, Matt. I, I'm just thinking about your parents and, the, and just how heartfelt and how critical your situation was that they that the despair that they must have felt. Yes. I mean, I, I looked it up. I had to do a lot of Googling. There is a lot of medical stuff. And I hope that uh, for any doctors or nurses out there listening, um, I'm able to say what happened to me. I kind of try to put it in layman's terms, but I'm hoping that a lot of these sort of tough medical terms that they'll be able to recognize. Absolutely. And Matt, so tell me that we're going to go into January then, because yes. I understand your brain injury is a result of a heart attack and not your accident. Can you tell us about that? Yes. So on uh, January 9th, sort of after all of this trauma inflicted by the accident and the multiple procedures and surgeries that I had, my body was in such a state that I had cardiac arrest. 
And I actually coded for 30 minutes. Okay, that's an incredibly long time. You know, I Googled and apparently the record for having been coded is three and a half hours. Somebody in Germany coded for three and a half hours and uh, they were brought back. That's the record. But um, the average, um, before doctors make a decision to stop resuscitating, the average is around 20 minutes. They worked on me for 30 minutes. So I'm very thankful for that. Um, so they worked on me for 30 minutes. Uh, and when these uh, angels, uh, I call them angels, as I'm sure everybody here, uh, you do as well, the people who save your life. Um, so the angels uh, who resuscitated me and finally got a pulse back, uh, discovered that I had brain anoxia. And um, my brain cells were not getting oxygen. And when that happens, it takes about four minutes for your brain cells to start dying. So they quickly induced the coma and I was placed on hypothermia protocol. That means my body was cooled down uh, to stop any type of, of swelling or, or any further. Uh, so um, I was in the coma, I had a tracheotomy and I was placed on a ventilator, which for me in 2020 and during this COVID-19, uh, at least in the early goings, the talk of ventilators and needing more ventilators, uh, I my life was saved because of a ventilator. So just thinking about that has uh, got, got me to be uh, uh, very... Um, you must be sensitive to all the people who are on ventilators now. Thank you, Candace. I think a brain injured folks out there can you know, agree that sometimes word finding can be difficult for us. So I'm very thankful that you came up with Indeed. Um, uh, placed on a ventilator, I was in the coma for close to a month and in the ICU overall from mid-December to early March. That's a week shy of three months I was in the ICU. Oh my gosh. Oh, Matt. Matt, um, my heart hurts just hearing the story. As, as you're telling it, and I can see and the audience can't, but I can see the expressions on your face and how just still difficult it is for you to discuss it. And I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, as difficult as it might be, you know, we're, we're alive. I woke yeah. up this morning and one of my mantras uh, is that every day we wake up and get out of bed. Every day is a good day. You might think, oh man, I have uh, this meeting to go to my job. I have this person I can't stand and we're in an argument. You know, you might have to deal with that on a given day. But uh, the first thing you need to realize is that you woke up, you're alive. Mm -hmm. And you know, while there is a lot of things that we go through, um, that in and of itself is uh, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the encouragement. Absolutely. So Matt, take us out of the hospital. Then you went into rehabilitation at Good Shepherd. Tell us a little bit about your journey there. Oh, certainly. Um, and uh, thank God for Good Shepherd. Uh, when I got to Good Shepherd, I received uh, two major therapies were speech slash cognitive therapy and physical therapy. Um, I, like I said, I was at Good Shepherd from early March to mid-May about two and a half months. Uh, it was incredibly slow going at first. 
Um, I would say that it's like a, a sloth going through molasses. And uh, I came up with that one, you know, brain injured. I was able to you know, pat myself on the back for that. Um, cognitively, I didn't know who I was or where I was. I didn't even know my own name. Okay, so uh, that should show you the type of state I was in when I initially got to Good Shepherd. Uh, my parents um, and friends were asked to make a picture book uh, that was uh, incredibly helpful for me to start regaining some recognition because early on, they go through the picture book, they point at people who had been relatives and best friends for life. And I would just, you know, maybe get one name out of 10 photos they point to. But the good thing is that I was quickly recovering. So maybe the next day I would get three names and the next day, seven names. And that's what uh, doctors said that when someone is coming out of a coma, it's really good to see patients get that type of recognition that early on. Um, incredibly blessed to have that happen because a lot of people, they really don't get stuff to come back for them and it's, it's heart rending, but I um, was able luckily to, um, to get that. Uh, so continuing with what Good Shepherd was helping me out with, um, I was initially bedridden and eventually moved from the bed with help um, and put in a wheelchair and wheeled in the wheelchair to the PT room, the meal room or the chapel. Um, this was huge for me up until that time. I had to take all of my meals in bed. And even before that, I had a feeding tube. Um, so from that, I was able to take my meals in bed and then eventually wheel to a meal room. Um, I had to go through very basic therapies like being helped to the commode, showered, having my teeth brushed, etc. These are very basic things that we do every day without even a second thought. And just to, just to pause for a moment, and right now as we're talking on this podcast, there are thousands of people in hospitals going through the same thing. I never had really thought about that prior to this accident, prior to going through it myself. Um, it just boggles my mind that this happened. Um, so, so the uh, PT at first was very basic. Uh, they were uh, focusing on my lack of strength, balance, and reflexes. Um, I, used, I first got into the seated bike, uh, reflex catching and throwing, passive, assistive, and active range of motion exercises, stretching, strengthening, and finally weight bearing. Uh, I was getting helped up from the chair and working on parallel bars. Um, that I at first despised, um, but my therapist at GS, uh, Ann Whiting in particular, would not let me get discouraged, coach me to the point where I was shooting for goals. Once I was being helped from a walker uh, with therapists on three sides of me, um, I then went from there to using the walker myself. Uh, the goals of going further on the walker down the hallway every day uh, fueled 
my, my, gave me the energy to uh, goals to continue to get better. Um, I had been a middle school lacrosse coach prior to this accident. And I realized that I was now being coached uh, and being pushed to do my best. And, you know, I recognized that. So that was good. And Matt, just, and, yeah. And you're such a, an avid athlete. You were telling us about rowing earlier and lacrosse coach. And I know that you're also a runner. Yes. Yeah. I, um, I was a, a runner heavily prior to this accident. Um, mm -hmm. Ran a few marathons. I would love doing the Broad Street Run in Philadelphia. If you are a runner and listening to this and you've never done the Broad Street Run, make that a bucket list thing to do. Um, it is the longest straight 10 miler in the country. Um, and it's, it's always a beautiful May day. Um, and uh, it's thousands of people participate. It's great. So I was doing that uh, regularly prior to this accident um, and just uh, a lot of stuff I was doing prior to the accident that I just, it took me out of. And but, so at yeah, recovery, right? how did that, how did then you transformed? How long were you at Good Shepherd? And then how did you transform into in community living again? So I was at Good Shepherd for two and a half months uh, from early March to mid-May. And then from there, when I was finally discharged, uh, they wheeled me out to my mom's car. I, I got helped into the car. And uh, as a 30 plus year old, went home to live with my parents. Now, God bless my parents, you know, but when you're a brain injured person on a handful, a cocktail of drugs, uh, you, I, I don't know if this, you had any experience with this, but just the ability to kind of keep your cool and not speak loudly and lash out is, is difficult. So I had all that going on being a 30 plus year old living with my parents again. That was, uh, was very difficult. But um, when I moved back home with my parents, uh, they actually moved me into the room I'm sitting in now. I had a bed right here next to this chair and um, I had a Biota nurse come and visit me because I still, you know, they discharged me, but I was, I still needed help showering, you know, sitting down, getting up from the bed and stuff like that. Um, so, so that's, that was pretty much what would happen very early on. And then I want to say, four months later of living at home with my parents, as I say, God bless them. Um, I just wanted some type of independence back. So I was able to move back into the apartment that I lived in prior to getting in the accident. And I was able to move back in there. Um, you know, it was hard kind of convincing my parents, but my sister and uh, brother-in-law lived in that same complex. So they were able to be right there should anything happen to me. So, um, so it was a family affair to help you get back to where family you're affair. And, and just to add to the family affair element, uh, when I got in the accident, my sister was eight months pregnant with my first nephew. So I remember her being pregnant 
And then I remember being in at Good Shepherd and kind of coming out of the coma and really being out of it. And she just walked in and had this baby in her hands. And she said, Uncle Matt, here's your nephew, Shane. And I just, it, it just didn't connect with me at that time. That's how out of it I was. But I thought, wow, okay, I'll, I'll take it. Um, so, so yeah, I, I'm sorry. Uh, both her and my brother-in-law and my nephew were living right in the same apartment complex. That's a huge help, right? To have a community around you lifting you up and helping you. And then you started to uh, volunteer. You, you wanted to give back to the community. You were feeling a little stronger and your recovery is going well. How did that, what did that look like to get back to you know, be, being committed in your community? Um, I, I'll say this, uh, to start very difficult. Um, I, uh, I, a lot of the stuff that was out there that I would consult with my mom, Hey, should I do this? And she would always say, yeah, sure. Go for it. You know? And, and I would, at least early on, um, I would be very against doing more or less anything because, um, as, as I say, um, I, I, as I've been saying, I couldn't get over myself. You know, I would just think about where I was versus, you know, where, um, I, where I was prior to the accident, where I was then. Um, and I, uh, slowly, um, started to volunteer, but um, the, the one major significant thing that I volunteered for was Mind Your Brain um, and, and being involved with that. And I think, I think the first Mind Your Brain happened when I was in the hospital and, and did I, yes, yeah, so I couldn't attend that. I think I attended the second Mind Your Brain mm -hmm. and uh, I was on a panel um, up there uh, in front of a lot of survivors and doctors and such. And I just remember kind of talking and then just dead stop in the middle of what I was talking about, forgetting what I was talking about. What, what was the subject? Uh, and yeah, that was embarrassing, but you gotta get out of your comfort zone and be prepared to get embarrassed. And that, but that's, that's what's gonna uh, fuel you on. Um, so, so volunteering with Mind Your Brain, I started to um, help with Mind Your Brain as opposed to just being a, a, a patient, a TBI survivor. So, that, and, it, that. and I, yeah, and I want to champion you, and I, and I, I'm going to gush a little bit because you also had a table with another brain injury survivor, yes. Yes, right here who is with us today. And you both were helping as a resource table, as a resource for other brain injury survivors to discuss app. Well, we called it Appy Hour. Well, yes. you, you talked about an app on phones or many oh. apps and taught some of the survivors there how to use those tools. 100%, uh, you know, and I think Kirby and I have discussed this, you know, our accidents happened to us in 2012, 2013. So, you know, the late... Um, what is it, the late, not aughts, um, I always screw this up, uh, late 20, 
15 to 2020, um, in any event, um, we thought, man, could you imagine if these accidents had happened to us 10 years prior, even five years prior, a lot of stuff was not available. So when we found just, there's a lot of apps on your phone that you can go to um, that were fantastic in, in helping us along. Uh, just being able to let people know that was important. Yes, and good tools to tell people that there's some resources that at your fingertips that you can you can take advantage of. One hundred percent. Just you know, go into your phone, go type in uh, you know, traumatic brain injury app, and you know there are numerous apps will come up. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's important. That's important for us to know. Uh, and also, again, I I want to celebrate how far you've come, Matt, by having you tell us about your trip cross country. You moved from Pennsylvania to California, which is so remarkable. And we'd love, I'm sure our listeners would hear, would love to hear about that story. Yes. Um, I live in uh, Carlsbad, California. And a lot of, when I say that, a lot of people are like, hmm, where is that? You know, we've heard of San Francisco and LA and and San Diego, Carlsbad, California, where's that? And like I said, I, you know, had made the decision that I, San Diego is where I wanted to go. I live in Carlsbad currently, and that's San Diego County. Um, that's about 45 minutes north of the city. It's about an hour and a half to two hours south of Los Angeles. Um, I just made the public decision. I dropped it on Instagram on 12-16-2018. Um, this was five years to the day of the accident. I made the decision that I was going to move to San Diego in 2019. Um, I made the personal decision to start seriously looking at the possibility after the winter of 2017. Um, that winter was my fourth as a TBI survivor. And I can imagine that TBI survivors out there understand what, it, what it's like when the winter comes around. Um, I was starting to get depressed when it got dark early and the weather was crummy. Um, and I'd lived in the mid-Atlantic and New England all my life. And I thought that seasonal affective disorder was kind of bunk. I was like, what, you can't take winter? What do you, you know, wimp, you know, what's the deal? Uh, but that's, you know, how could I have grown up all my life in the Northeast and not ever have it, but I had it now? Um, well, I have TBI. Um, I'd never even considered the possibility of getting something like this, but my neurologist and psychologist concurred uh, that I could certainly get seasonal affective disorder at any time. They said anybody can. It's more real for you because you have a brain injury. Uh, that April, um, uh, I was at the Final Four in San Antonio. I met a San Diegan who grew up in Philadelphia, actually went to the same high school. I went to St. Joe's Prep. It was meant um, to be. Right, it was meant to be. He, he pretty much convinced me, um, pretty much confirmed that he never experienced nicer weather. He said it was year-round perfect. He said they were the best tacos in the country. That just... That solidified it for me. Um, I thought about my continued goals of physical wellness, 
And uh, I honestly couldn't think of a better place to go for physical wellness uh, than to move to San Diego. Um, I spent the next nine months looking into it, pondering the pros and cons, watching YouTube videos constantly just to kind of get me excited and stoked about the idea of moving, um, just kind of reinforcing it for myself. Um, I think as also, a teacher, you were studying. You, you were right? doing your homework. It was, I was doing my homework. I was studying. And I just kept repeating the phrase, I'm going to move to San Diego in my head daily, frequently, you know, it'd be like, oh, we're going to get six more inches of snow tomorrow. And I'd be like, I'm going to move to San Diego. I don't think they get blizzards out there and they don't, you know, so, um, so I, I started repeating that phrase and then I dropped that Instagram post uh, because uh, I wanted to let folks know what I was up to by putting in writing for the public. But I also wanted to hold myself accountable. You know, I was putting it there out publicly and I thought, well, I can't wuss out now. I have to do this. So I ended up in June setting a date that I would leave for California in September. So on Monday, September the 16th, and there's the 16th again, like I said, I'm all about numerology. Um, this was, I planned that this was going to be a three week drive uh, at the end of summer and the beginning of fall. I've uh, always loved travel. This was a chance to have three weeks of a first of a lifetime experience, not a once in a lifetime, the first of a lifetime experience. And a lot of TBI survivors, we talk about our new life. You know, you, you do, your life has changed uh, beyond ways you could possibly fathom. And you now have a new one, you know, whether you like it or not. And that, that was the deal. Um, uh, I took the planning as a challenge. Um, a friend helped me pack and he actually did the first two legs with me. Um, so for these legs of the trip, I need to shout out some spots. And these are for... The listeners who've been to these places, but more importantly for the listeners who need to go there at some point. Um, so uh, Gettysburg Military Park uh, and Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Shenandoah National Park, Skyline Drive, Blue Ridge Parkway, Roanoke, Virginia, Asheville, North Carolina, Nashville, Tennessee, Birmingham and Montgomery, Alabama, Biloxi, Mississippi, New Orleans, Louisiana, Austin, Lubbock, Texas, Petrified uh, Forest National Park, Santa Fe, New Mexico, Sedona and Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Anza Borrego Desert State Park, and eventually San Diego. I would, would say, yeah, if you haven't been to San Diego, please put it on your bucket list yesterday. Uh, it's, it's been amazing. Um, and I just, I wanted to experience all these places and I was able to do so. And, and I'll say it, it was difficult, but, uh, you know, my mom told me the other day prior to me doing this podcast, she said, do you remember, uh, before you went on this trip, you told me, mom, don't text me, don't call me, I'll call you, you know? So, you know, here I am being a jerk, but you know, that, that helped, you know, it, it kind of uh, solidified the fact that 
this was my decision. I was doing it. And um, yeah. And, and I'm so proud uh, of the, all your accomplishments. And we talk about it, maybe it wasn't perfect in your recovery, but I, I feel that sense of accomplishment that you now have. I set my mind to do something. I achieved my goals and now I'm gonna set another level of goals. And I think that speaks to what the TBI survivors in the world they're in. They have to, even if it's baby steps to start out with, where you just wanted to use the walker down the hallway to driving cross country, it's amazing. 100%, um, it's all this is about goals uh, and set, like you said, baby steps. You know, the goal might be something that you would think is so insignificant. Oh, my goodness. Like, anybody can do this. This is a goal of mine. Well, it, it technically is a goal. You set it, accomplish it, and you move on. Um, and I actually, one of the things I would say to TBI survivors is you might want to look into a psychologist. And I did. Um, I thought just like seasonal affective disorder, I thought, eh, you don't really need a psychologist, you know, but, but you do, uh, particularly if you have a brain injury. And um, my psychologist did that. We set small goals, but we always had the big goals were there. They were on the board in the background while I was sort of uh, clicking off these small goals. Um, Obviously, driving across country, moving to San Diego was the biggest one. And Matt, are you working out in California? What is your goals in that area? Oh, oh, definitely. Uh, uh, physically, um, I, you know, out in California, obviously, uh, it, you know, it's, it's a COVID-19 situation the world over. But I feel, and, and we say this a lot out in California, we're, we're so lucky to be where we are because you know, yoga is still open, um, obviously not indoor studios, but it's just outdoor yoga, um, going to outdoor yoga frequently. I've become a yoga fiend. A yogi? A yo yeah, a yogi <laughs> as it were. And um, I, would, I would recommend that every brain injured survivor, um, at minimum, try it. Just try it. I mean, you might think, oh, yoga, I got to twist my body in a thousand different ways. And, you know, there's a really strict way of doing stuff. And I don't want to. And, you know, that is, uh, yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from with that. And I was kind of there at first. Um, but it just, uh, it helps you in so many ways, not just physically and mentally, which we all need, but it, it speaks to your soul yoga does. Um, so I am, I've been a yoga fiend out there. Um, and with this great weather, I've been walking like a madman during this pandemic. Um, I, you know, because the weather can do that. And I walked a half marathon for, uh, St. Jude children's hospital, um, and raised money to do that. And, uh, yeah, you can just walk out your door and walk for 13 and a half miles. Um, and you don't have to worry about the weather, that yes. kind of stuff. I can see why you're so proud of your accomplishments. It, it, and I feel the joy that you have now. And that, that really speaks to my, to, to what we all hope and the tools and tips we want to give to brain injury survivors. We, we want to give them that hope and encouragement that, that, uh, in time will tell and be courageous 
and take on tasks that you didn't expect that you could achieve, take a risk a little bit, a calculated risk. And I think that that's what you embody right now is you're such a great spokesperson for somebody with a TBI. Thank you. Um, I have a lot of other advice. Uh, Please tell us. Yes, we have um, another couple minutes. I'd love to hear them. One that's right up there is please join a support group. Um, and I went, I remember I went to my first support group. You were there, Candace. Um, and I realized after going uh, monthly, I, I, it just kind of struck me. I thought, this is uh, great. It's amazing. You're, you're meeting other people who have gone through similar things. You're getting advice. Uh, you have medical professionals come in and, and speak on a given subject. So I would say join a support group like yesterday. Join it. Um, I mentioned yoga. And, you know, if you're not into twisting yourself into a pretzel, um, look into meditation. Meditation is, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's going to help you. Um, I would also say, even though you, you got to believe in yourself, uh, being humble is, is a good thing. Um, be humble because somebody has it worse than you. Um, that's a, you have to realize um, that the possibilities of the next week, day, hour are endless. You have to believe in that. And I think Kirby, I'm going to credit her for this, and, and she said it, and uh, it's 100% true, uh, use humor as much as possible. So I, I would say that. I would say use humor as much as possible all day, every day, whether that's being humorous yourself or watching some comedies or stand-up comedy. Humor, in my opinion, laughter uh, is a proven remedy for TBI. Now, to be clear, scientists and doctors have not come out with that. I'm just coming out with that here because um, I've met a lot of fellow TBI survivors uh, to know that to be the truth. Indeed. So that's, that's a ton of advice there, but pick one and, and roll with it. Run with it. Great advice. I absolutely appreciate all of, the, all of the insight that you've given us today. It's really remarkable. And I wanna thank you, Matt, for sharing with us how you stayed positive. You relied on your faith to guide you. Your story's powerful. It's an example of what tenacity and hard work can accomplish. Not perfect, but you're proud. And I, and I applaud you for that. 100%, thank you so much. And you know, speaking of thank you, can you give me a second? Can I yes. shout out some? Oh, please some do. People? Because it's a village. I mean, it's, you know, you can talk about, you know, how strong you were and resilient you were, I was, um, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it's, there's so many people who've gone into this. Um, so uh, I want to shout out, mention to everyone employed by University of Pennsylvania Hospital, Good Shepherd Penn Partners Hospital. Um, doctors uh, Braslow, Pasquale, Williams, and Wallach, and the numerous doctors and nurses who cared for me. Uh, I'm talking teams of people uh, were involved. Uh, the Rhodes Five ICU, the Good Shepherd Fourth Floor, McGee Riverfront Rehabilitation, Jeff Trexler, and all the fantastic therapists there who helped me along the way, 
my psychologist, Dr. Levy, uh, the huge, like I said, the village of people, I, too numerous to mention that I didn't mention, I apologize. Um, and then in closing, my fellow TBI friends, your family members to me, and most importantly, you, Candace, um, for you were founder of this Mind Your Brain, and it gives resources and hope to this entire TBI community. And I want to thank you for that. It's a blessing. It truly is. Matt. We have a mutual admiration society going on, and I tell you that I'm, I'm so I'm honored to be interviewing here today. And there are millions that are still struggling and that are vulnerable that you could help out here. I'm talking to the listeners now that you could help by promoting this podcast story. You can be a partner with us and follow us on Instagram, on Facebook, and learn more about the mission of Mind Your Brain and be an advocate and a voice for the invisible please join us making a difference in the world. And Matt and I would like to offer you a virtual hug and tell you you're not invisible to us.